at the beach. History will be made tonight in San Diego, California, as you are looking live at the Cox Arena. Ladies and gentlemen, Bash at the Beach is on the air. And never in the history of this grand sport has there been so much scrutiny, so much talk, so much media attention about one match and about one night. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are. It's been another month. I made a comment that if we did thorough research and I read a bunch of books and got all the facts straight, we'd get about one podcast out a month. But uh, this year, it, it seems like we're on pace to do that, even without doing any of the hard work and research. But... Uh, there's been uh, several things that came up, and also uh, I'm just lazy and didn't watch the pay-per-view in time to do it the first week, and then other stuff came along, which uh, I'll talk about eventually one day. And yeah, so sorry for the delay, everybody. Yes, I know you've been wondering what happened at a pay-per-view in 1998 for the last month. There's no way to find out what happened in 1998. You've been waiting this whole time to figure out what happened at Bash at the Beach 1998, but... Your, your wait will be worth it, I promise. How have you been, Patrick? When you were finally ready, I had some stuff come up, so I was not able to record. So it's not all on Alex, let's make that clear. Uh, it just the timing of the situation. So it's a little, it's been a little difficult. Uh, I had some things that I had to deal with and handle. and uh, But we're, we're back, we're good, we're alive and kicking. About as happy as we could be with uh, Just Like Christian. The first podcast we did this year, we talked uh, briefly about the 2021 Royal Rumble. And I mentioned that Christian, I didn't see him working uh, as a long-term deal. And that part was sort of correct. He didn't want to work a long-time deal for the WWE. And when I say that he didn't want to, I think that the WWE didn't want to because... I'm sure that he would have signed with them had he gotten the offer that AEW probably came to him with if WWE had matched it or offered more. Um, they certainly have good reason, the WWE, to have hired Christian. It's really strange that they didn't, honestly, at least for not even if you want to sign him to a long-term deal, but... For this Fastlane pay-per-view coming up, uh, for WrestleMania and beyond, if they have any plans with Edge actually beating Roman Reigns or doing anything. I mean, even at Fastlane, you could have had Christian challenge Roman Reigns and that build the story in for Edge. Like, there's so much to do. You could have had an Edge and Christian reunion. Uh, there, there was money to have been made. And for them to have said, nah, we don't really like you. Is, is surprising, but at the same time, it's not, because I talked about it on my WWE ECW final show. They've never cared much for Jason Riso, Christian. They uh, just don't like his face. I don't know what it is. Vince just doesn't like this guy. He's done nothing wrong. He's done everything the right way. And you could say, oh, well, maybe they're, they're better that he went to TNA and came back and everything because they stuck him in ECW, but... Jeff Hardy did that, and they there's been there was no punishment to Jeff Hardy. In fact, they gave Jeff Hardy the title when he came back. So yeah. they they stuck Christian in ECW. Eventually, he got the 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 world title when Edge retired. But 
they've never really liked this guy for whatever reason. And so, yeah, it's it's surprising, but it's not because the way they've always treated him, they just there's something about him they don't care for. It's just like when he was in in retirement. He's one of the few wrestlers that didn't get to go out there and give a big retirement speech when he was medically unable to compete. He, they, they said, oh, you got too many concussions. But, you know, they, they, they did the same thing with Paige at first, but then, you know, plotted it out so that Paige could, you know, make her retirement speech in New Orleans or, or whatever it was, the city that she debuted in, or I forget. I think it was in New Orleans. They tried, they timed it out. But all these other wrestlers, Edge, uh, Daniel Bryan, all these other wrestlers who have since come back to wrestle, by the way. But uh, Christian, they just, he's off TV and he just disappeared. And then he reappeared with the Edge and Christian show, and there was never a formal goodbye. There was no Hall of Fame induction. I mean, Edge went into the Hall of Fame the year after he retired. <laughs> Christian had, uh, yet, just sat around. He has yet to go in the Hall of Fame. That's and at this rate, I, at this rate, I don't think he he is. But um, eventually he will, because eventually Patrick, they let everybody in. Uh, we, we we know that, but. Uh, yeah, he debuted at the AEW. Was it Revolution? Was the was the card? I watched most of that card until the main event, uh, until the oh. ring didn't explode. So those guys worked their asses off for an unbelievable, great, amazing match, an absolutely outstanding match. But they have come out and even said, Tony Khan and them, that there was just a malfunction and it didn't go off like it was supposed to. And so it was not set to be that shitty of a finish. It actually was a malfunction and it just didn't go off like it was supposed to. And I, uh, I'm just blown away by the fact that those two guys went in yeah, there. Yeah, you were the only one blown away. Uh, well, actually, to be honest with you, I dipped out before that match started because the pay-per-view ran long, and it was on a Sunday instead of a Saturday. They didn't want to compete with the UFC. So this was the first AEW card, the pay-per-view card, that was on a Sunday. It was running late, Patrick. I think that cinematic match with uh, Sting and Darby Allen didn't get done until, like... 11 something and so by then I, I had to tap out and so i actually didn't see the john moxley and kenny omega match i did i did see highlights of it and did read a lot of reviews that were you know praising the actual the match itself i mean they bled they they poured their hearts into it but ultimately yeah that's all going to be forgotten though because the ring didn't blow up. It wouldn't have been as bad if they didn't show all the Japanese footage of exploding ring matches. Or even, here's a better idea, don't have an exploding ring stip involved. You could have just had the barbed wire and that would have been probably good enough. But when you, when you promote something like that, you have to deliver. And the ending... With uh, Eddie Kingston uh, passing out of fear from sparklers was not good. Unfortunately, ruined. It'll be the only thing people take away from the match. But it was an outstanding match. And uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. And hope that uh, 
we see a, another one uh, in the future uh, for a, it's going to be a long, long time. I hope it just wasn't a one and done, I guess is the best way to put it because I enjoyed it. I think it is a match that has long been missed and something that, that the Japanese uh, created, which is amazing and it needed to be, brought over here and you knew wwe wasn't going to touch it you knew tna really wasn't going to go there they just didn't feel comfortable with people putting their lives on the line to that extreme however we were finally able to find a company that was willing to do it i was ecstatic ecstatic to see it ecstatic to hear it i mean i think it delivered up till the finish uh, you can take it for what it's worth. Overall, this was uh, one of the AEW pay-per-views that I didn't think really delivered overall from top to bottom. I thought that uh, some of the matches went too long. I thought the Matt Hardy, uh, Hangman Adam Page match went on too long with Matt Hardy in control for most of it. I thought the women's title match was like they were moving in slow motion. Uh, they were doing uh, exciting moves and uh, vicious moves to one another, but they were just going so slow. I felt like there was a, a frame rate issue or something going on with my television. Uh, the ladder match was uh, another one that also felt pretty slow for a ladder match when you have Cody Rhodes trying to do the big, oh, I'm hurt, I'm going to run back and maybe win this thing, and no, and then... The big brass ring, the big golden donut. I'm not sure that was the best prop. Uh, very, a lot of uh, TNA stuff uh, about that that pay per view, including the ring not exploding. That's very TNA. You know, you have Christian Cage coming out to his TNA theme song. You have <laughs> all these old WWE guys uh, are part of the show now, and you're introducing more. And so. Unfortunately, I, I felt like the the show just wasn't as good as other AEW productions, but still much better than many of the WWE offerings. I mean, I didn't even watch Elimination Chamber, so um, if that tells you anything, so sometimes quality over quantity. Even even a, a C plus show from AEW is gonna outperform. Probably something like Fastlane coming up this weekend for the WWE because they run them. So they run the one every month. They kind of lose their value. I, I'd still give it a thumbs up, I guess. But I just just barely just barely. It, it, and it ran too long. Like I said, uh, you, you got to the standard used to be two hours and 40 minutes. I don't know what, what's happened to that uh, rule uh, or the idea that you need to stay on as long as possible but uh, it's really bad for people that go to work very early on monday mornings uh to to go over that uh yeah i'm an old man sure but you are an old timer because i hung out for it so uh well I, put the I, shows on saturday they could have run up against ufc i don't think there's a big crossover in people that especially people that were actually paying for either show uh there's not going to be people there's not a lot of crossover I think they could have run Saturday and been fine. So that's some of what's been happening on wrestling on television with uh, AEW and WWE. Uh, also, we should mention Bobby Lashley, WWE champion, as they've they've done the big switcheroo here with uh, 
Miz winning at Elimination Chamber, cashing in his money in the bank, which he didn't win, which he had already cashed in once before, but they said, oh, well, John Morrison cashed it in, so that didn't count. So Miz had the money in the bank still, and he cashed it in, defeated Drew McIntyre, and then immediately was challenged by Bobby Lashley on the next Raw and lost the WWE title to Bobby Lashley, who had never held it before and is only the third African-American WWE champion, not the third world champion overall, um, but the one with the lineage, uh, the WWE title. Uh, he, he did it. Uh, I would have sworn that he had probably been champion before, but no, he has not been. And the Hurt Business has been the only positive story on Raw uh, of this year, I think, that I could... Uh, of the past year that I could really point to and say, well, that's working. That That's doing some good there. And the rejuvenation of MB, MVP's career and Bobby Lashley's career and Shelton Benjamin and all, I mean, all these guys that this has been a, a success on Monday Night Raw when pretty much nothing else on Monday Night Raw is really working when you have Braun Strowman getting slimed by Shane McMahon was, was this week's Raw. So, uh, Congrats to Bobby Lashley, who uh, will go on to WrestleMania, most likely, and defend against probably Drew and Brock Lesnar is the rumor, so we'll see. But definitely Drew, I would say, is penciled in there, and that should be a pretty good match. So, uh, yeah. I haven't watched any WWE stuff. I just can't. I can't go back to this fuck you, screw you over shit another time. I mean, it just keeps happening over and over again in my eyes. And I just, I'm like, come on, man, give me something. Just one thing. Give me something to, to make it worthwhile. I can't keep going back to the, to the well. Why do you go to the well to get water when it turns out to be piss? That's a very strange analogy, but uh, I hope your well isn't full of piss. Um, well, it's, you know, hell, it's pretty damn close. I'm definitely probably the lowest I've been on the WWE and, uh, since the time we started this podcast. I know that if you go back through our episodes, it sounds like I'm down on them all the time, but I think this is the least I've cared uh, in a long, long time. You just can't. You can't keep going back there and getting shit on over and over again. I, I can't anyway. So. so that's what's been happening on some of the pro wrestling we've been watching on TV or not watching in some of our cases. What else do you have for us from the news desk this week, sir? Well, uh, shout out to my good buddy, uh, second generation Tojo Yamamoto Jr. For those of you who uh, don't know, Chattanooga's own Tojo Yamamoto is the man who uh, worked in Channel 9 for years, or Channel 12, I mean, for years to uh, putting on the shows every Saturday night at the Memorial Auditorium. And um, he also is the one that trained beautiful Bobby Eaton. He uh, had a hand in training uh, Robert Gibson of the Rock and Roll Express and Ricky Gibson, who was Robert's brother before his untimely death. Just a great legend of Chattanooga wrestling. Uh, his son, Tojo Yamamoto Jr., is in really bad health. For me, I just want to give a shout-out to my buddy and say keep fighting. 
uh, stick it out and we got you. And, uh, so definitely want to get that out there and, uh, we're going to move forward. Uh, another good friend of mine, the one and only Miranda Gordy, the uh, daughter of Terry Bam Bam Gordy, another Chattanooga legend, got a WWE tryout. Um, don't know how well it went. Have no idea. It just recently happened. So, you know, it's not like, hey, she got signed. We're going to know, you know, we're talking about it happened just a few days ago. So we're going to have to wait and see how that turned out. Um, I think she's a fantastic wrestler. Uh, I'm a little biased, but I really do believe she has what it takes. And um, I, I think uh, I think this NWA back for the attack is something that is turning out to be kind of kind of a good show. Um, long time not seen or heard of. Chris Masters is announced to be on this show as well as so many others i think it's going to be good i'm happy to see nwa back and going and uh billy corgan getting this thing rocking and rolling again you can tell with uh, the likes of the talent coming in that it's some of the same people that has been that is being used on AEW. so you can tell that they are having a really good decent working relationship just like uh, Impact Wrestling has. I, I am ecstatic about it. Now, we're going to stick with another Tennessee legend himself in Buford Pusser. If you have not heard of the man, I know you've heard of the man because you've listened to the podcast and you've heard me talk about him. He's a legendary sheriff of McNary County and a very proud Tennessean in his time in the uh, great state of Tennessee, a former professional wrestler himself. They did a movie called Walking Tall about him. They did three movies, uh, one, two, and three parts, that uh, played out his entire life until he died. And in the process of filming part three, he actually was murdered. We move forward into the early 2000s, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson makes a new Walking Tall movie. Uh, me and you have discussed it in the past. You have yet to see this movie, correct, Alex? Yeah, I, I have it uh, on one of my streaming services, but I haven't been able to <laughs> sit down and watch it yet. But I plan to eventually. It's a, it's a pretty good movie. It's a pretty good movie. But uh, USA Network is going one more time with uh, The Walking Tall, and it's going to be actually a TV series on the USA Network, which I'm ecstatic about. Now, here is the real kicker. We're throwing a twist in there because the star of the show is going to be none other than Charlotte Flair. I am ecstatic because I think this is going to be awesome. And uh, who knows? I could be wrong and it be a giant shit turd. Uh, but I think it's going to be awesome. I look forward to watching it. It is being pr- uh, in production right now. It's, so. uh, it's just a TV movie, apparently. It's not a series. I thought it was a series, and I thought that it was it would be strange if they gave Charlotte all that time off, but it's, it's just a, a movie reboot so far, a TV okay. movie, uh, but we'll see. It might get picked up and turned into a series, but uh, we'll just have to see how it turns I- out. I think it's going to be awesome. But uh and she's done a little bit of acting already, so 
I think uh, I think there's a lot to go off of there, but I, I look forward to it. I'm ecstatic and uh, think it's going to turn out well. Uh, and I'm sure we will tune in uh, further down the road and you will hear what we think of it if you just stay tuned. Before I wrap news up, uh, NWA, that pay-per-view actually is going head-to-head against Fastlane. So it'll be on Fight TV on March 21st, so this Sunday from when we're, we're recording. Aaron Stevens will take on Nick Aldis for the NWA title. Thunder Rosa and Camille will take a number one contenders match because Serena Deeb is out with injury, so they'll fight for a number one contendership. You have Crimson versus Jax Dane versus Slice Boogie versus Jordan Clearwater. Tyrus will make his NWA debut along with, as you mentioned, Chris Masters, who goes by Chris Adonis on the indie scene. And uh, not to be a downer, but of course, uh, Josephus from NWA passed away a few weeks ago. So he was heavily featured in the uh, NWA Power series from the... uh, Georgia Public Television Studios. So that is right. I forgot to mention that. Yes, uh, really sad to hear that too, because he was another very young man who, unfortunately, just uh, tragic circumstances. I don't think it was anything of a being sick or anything like that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, been rumored to be either a stroke or an aneurysm or something like that. So um, wow. Yeah, nothing nefarious, just a a very tragic uh, medical issue for uh, Josephus, who also played, he was the Bruiser Brody uh, double in Dark Side of the Ring for the reenactment, so he also uh, did that, so, uh, and he was also question mark, of course, in the NWA, was kind of a a funny gimmick. Wrapping it up with news and notes here, WrestleMania tickets, yes, they are going to do WrestleMania this year, and it is going to be in Tampa. They gave Tampa a second chance, which is something that we both, um, I think, mentioned last year when they had to, of course, cancel it and do it at the Performance Center, that Tampa should really get a redo. It's kind of not fair to take it to L.A. Well, they're going to do it in Tampa this year. Uh, It's going to be two nights again. And then next year they're in Dallas, but it's back to one night. And then they go to L.A. the year after that. So uh, as far as WrestleMania is near us, Patrick, this is going to be it for three years at least. Um, Saturday, April 10th and Sunday, April 11th is WrestleMania this year. And tickets go on sale Friday, March 19th. So two days from when we're recording this. Uh, tickets range between $35 and $2,500. Can you imagine paying $2,500 for a WrestleMania ticket? So they can space everybody else. The tickets will be sold in groups of one and six. So if you have any plans to get on down to Tampa Bay, it's time to make your decision now because I'm sure that this will be a sellout. And, of course, all the other indie shows that run around wrestlemania it's like a big it's a week-long affair now but now that wrestlemania is two nights in some ways that that takes away from the stuff that happens on saturday nights for for the indie shows and in some ways that's a shitty move on the wwe's part but it's also brilliant because hey if we want to make you choose between this and that you know or do you really are you going to pick 
you know, Joey Janela's spring break or are you going to pick WrestleMania? Joey Janela's spring break. Yeah, for some people, yeah. I mean, for some people, they would say, of course, I'm going to spring break. But what if the match you want to see is going to happen on Saturday night? You know, what if the one match on the WrestleMania card or what if you've never been to a WrestleMania? Um, but they're, they're doing away with the two night event for next year so far. They might change their mind, but it's going to go back to one night, which I hope that they stick with the two night format, not to mess with the the Saturday night indie shows. But so that we don't have to sit through a nine hour, eight hour show. I can't do it. I I completely disagree with you. I think they know they need to stick with a one night thing strictly because of the fact that it's WrestleMania. It's the Super Bowl. I mean, you don't stop the Super Bowl and be like, oh, all right, it's halftime. We're just going to pick up the game tomorrow. Well, but I mean, they do that with like the Daytona 500 if they have to. I mean, this this year's Daytona 500, hell, they ran it at like one in the morning because they were so hell bent on getting it done in a day. (laughs) The finish of the Daytona 500 was at like two in the morning because they had like a seven hour rain delay Uh, and they just were not going to run it on Monday. They said, fuck that shit. No, no, we're going to do this. But for me, just my viewing habits, Patrick, even if every match was a five star classic, just a banger, I can't sit there for eight hours. I just can't do it anymore. I just I just can't. So keep it to one so, day and keep it to four or five hours max. And so we're good. Are we going to Tampa? Are we going to go and uh, see this? Are we going to see Alex versus the blue light round two? Um, well, airfare from our city to Tampa Bay, St. Pete is very cheap, Patrick. And there are actually flights leaving that Thursday that come back that Monday. And so you don't know how tempted I was to actually think about this. But the fact is that uh, my family's financial situation, my employment situation, the uncertainty with the world and where will where will we even be in April? What's going to happen next? I don't know. So I'm not going to book those tickets. Um that's here's, why I can't here's do the this. deal, guys. That's true. Here's the deal. I bought tickets to go see the Atlanta Braves. Okay. Bought, paid for, signed, sealed, delivered. Then I get an email that states, oh, we're giving you a refund for your tickets. Uh, the game has been canceled due to COVID. What? You've already started playing a couple of preseason games. Oh, yeah, no, they're doing uh, spring training in Florida, yeah. So no, that's very strange that you've already got a cancellation email. It's, but we don't know for a fact that Florida might not be like, all right, yeah, this shit ain't happening tonight, sorry. There's just too much uncertainty with, with anything. If I had more disposable income, but even with the stimulus check and everything, I mean, that just went to pay bills. That didn't go, I'm not out here <laughs> living it up. I'm not buying a $2,500 WrestleMania ticket for one night. You know, that'd be five grand for two nights if you wanted it. So, yeah, uh, unfortunately, maybe Dallas, maybe next year, maybe because uh, there are flights from our city to Dallas. I, there, or there used to be. I knew uh, there used to be direct flights from here to Dallas. I don't know if they're still doing that. And that stadium holds 100,000 people. And if we can all get together, then 
Yeah, everybody, you'll be able to find a seat. Now, you won't be able to see anything. You'll have to watch the giant Jumbotron, but as long as it blocks the blue light, it's it's fine with me. And uh, so maybe next year for Dallas. Won't won't be considering Los Angeles. Sorry, won't be flying all the way to Los Angeles for WrestleMania. I would like to see Los Angeles one day, but not for a WrestleMania. I don't I don't want to fight through Los Angeles traffic to go to a stadium uh, for a WrestleMania. Because when they ran WrestleMania in New York uh, a few years ago, uh, that was a disaster, even for the people taking public transit and stuff. I mean, hell, even when we went to the one in Orlando, you know, we walked quite a while before we even got an Uber to get home. So it's just a disaster. <laughs> it's just... It's just all a disaster, and it's how much how much misery do I want to inflict upon myself to see wrestling, and Los Angeles just isn't it. And finally, this is the biggest news, and it directly impacts this podcast, because the WWE Network has, of course, been absorbed into NBC's streaming service, Peacock, and that's not good news for us, because uh, March 18th, so tomorrow uh, from the time we're recording is the beginning of the phase-in, where the WWE Network subscribers will uh, be transitioned over. But then, on April 4th, the WWE Network standalone uh, version will be completely shut down. And that wouldn't be such a big deal if, and this is a big if, it wouldn't be such a big deal if they were taking all the archives over. But, at first, Patrick, they're not going to have the archives. And that totally, totally burns us. And it totally burns me, because when I use the network, that's what I'm watching, is archive stuff. And until SummerSlam, Patrick. SummerSlam. That's like, uh, that's a million miles from from here. Until SummerSlam, they're not going to have the WCW or ECW library. They make no mention of the territories they make no mention of the documentaries they make no mention of anything else but they say they'll have the wcw and ecw libraries up by then now so that really sucks for us and that's not because i mean you have lots of wrestling tapes and i have some dvds and stuff but we might have to go to power slam or something else coming up in, in the coming weeks to actually watch stuff because they're only going to have the last year of WWE programming and selected and selected programs like uh, the Stone Cold interviews and stuff that he's done over the, the Broken Skull sessions. Uh, they're going to have that kind of stuff. They're going to have the last ride or whatever. They're going to have stuff they've done in the last couple of years, but all WWE centric stuff. And this podcast is called the Retro Wrestling Podcast. That doesn't really help us out much. So this is not good. It really pisses me off that they don't care because they got paid. So Vince made a billion dollars. So he doesn't really give a shit if I have access to an episode of ECW on TNN from 1999. He doesn't really care. So, yeah, this this just sucks. And even when... The archives get uploaded, Patrick. They're not going to put match markers in there. You're not going to be able to just search for a match. So good luck to you. You have to scrub through everything. Best of luck. Best of luck to everybody out there. Uh, Coming up in the next few weeks, I guess, 
you'll hear us doing some like old CZW shows and stuff because there's a, there's also a convenience factor in the network for us because that way you and I are seeing the same thing. That way we both have access to it and can watch it on our own time. And that's going to go away. So, yeah. Uh, how do you feel? Because you, uh, just like me, have been a subscriber of the network since day one. So what do you think about this change? Pat? I, I was back at the 24-7 back at Comcast. Oh, yeah, you were an OG. Yeah, you were 24-7, then Classics on Demand, as they renamed it. And uh, then, uh, of course, the network. So, yeah, you're, you're an OG. You, you've been subscribing to all their subscription services. I've been there for the past, like, I don't know, 15 years, it seems like. Right around in there, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It it just kind of sucks. But you know, maybe we'll. I, I think it. I think it kind of is some bullshit. Strictly because there are people that are like me that have been loyal and have their stuff they watch, and it just it really just really sucks. Now, are you gonna make? Things. Are you gonna make the transition to Peacock with them, or are you jumping off? I'll probably jump off, to be honest with you, because it's not gonna have any of the shit I want to watch. So you'll and jump you know, back on when you know that that stuff's back on there, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, because I'm not going to waste my time paying them for shit that I don't want to watch. WrestleMania is not going to be worth watching this year. I mean, they're going to have to put some shit together to make me be like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll buy back in. Uh, so, I mean, that that is how tragic this is, ladies and gentlemen, that for the first time ever, I am turning down wrestling. Wow. You do not understand. Yes. Yes. Alex gets that. Alex just wrapped his head around that. The rest of you people out there do not understand how serious – that truly is so uh yeah no i'm out man i'm out and uh when i know that they've put stuff back on there that i want to see then i'll get back on but other than that no i'm i'm out yeah i'm gonna ha- i'm gonna have to uh to say no to it even even with the offer of they're, I think they're offering it at half price for the ad supported version at first so i think it's like two and a half bucks or something with ads but that yeah like you said it doesn't include the stuff that i watch like i fall asleep a lot of nights with nitro on why i don't know because i'm a lunatic uh but because i i it's just what i do or i turn on a documentary or something like that and if you're gonna take all that off of there well there's really nothing for me to watch out of the stuff they've produced in the last year as far as their original programming, I watched the Icons program with Yokozuna. I thought that was pretty good. And I watched uh, a couple of the Austin interviews. I didn't watch any of the Undertaker stuff because, and frankly, I still don't buy that he's actually retired for good. So what's the point of watching all that? Um, yeah, and outside of that, that's all I've watched that out of their original programming, uh, outside of the pay-per-views. And if you're saying, are you going to stick around just for pay-per-views? No, no, I'm not. Not really. Uh, especially when you're starting it 
at WrestleMania, okay, well, I can find alternate ways to watch WrestleMania if I really have to. And I think most of their audience does. That's why they've never had a good subscriber rate is because so many people bootleg the network and or can bootleg pay-per-views. But then, you know, when you get into post-WrestleMania season, that's not a great time to want to jump into pro wrestling, honestly, because you're starting the season over again. If this was sports, you're starting the season over again. Do you want to do you want to jump in at the beginning of the season or would you like to be there for the playoffs and the championship game? (laughs) So, yeah, I I think it's bad timing and I'm going to have to wait and see. When they get every, when I get confirmation that stuff is uploaded that I know that I will watch, then I'll consider it because at, at nine ninety nine at full price for the ad free version you get all the NBC content too, which I don't know if I'm gonna like because outside of the office there's nothing really from NBCU that I can think of that I watch, but you get all that other content too for the same price. Well, in that case, okay, fair enough, I might come back, but. For for a while, I'm going to be I'm going to have to just go without and just figure it out on my own. If there's something I really want to see, I'm just going to have to figure out how to see it. And I, w- I wish that sometimes that we didn't live in this country because all the other countries, Patrick, get to keep the WWE network. So Canada gets to keep the WWE network, but we don't. What? Yeah. So what? we're we're the only country that. America is the only country that Peacock is taking the network. All the other places where you can get the network get to keep the network in its current format. Yeah, that's how much Vince loves America. He's going to take away the network from America. But he uh, he got a billion dollars for it. All right, Patrick, well, it was your pick this week. And what did you choose for our review? I chose Bash at the Beach 1998 where we were going to see two basketball stars step in the ring and lock up to pay tribute to Kill O'Neal doing the exact same thing in AEW just a few weeks ago. And how did you feel about that match, by the way? Did you watch it? I didn't see it. I was about to ask you if it even happened. I didn't I didn't know that it if it, it had happened. It did and it was fucking fantastic. It was awesome. Shaq uh hit a power bomb. I mean, they locked up. Shaq worked some big uh some big knees in the corner. He pulled the uh the Kevin Nash playbook more or less and uh the finish to take Shaq out and to take Cody out. Uh, Shaq was on the corner waiting for a tag, and Cody came flying over the rope with a crossbody, and Shaq completely exploded this table that was down on the floor, and both of them went through a table. And when I say exploded, it didn't just break in half like every other table you've seen. No, this shit went splintering into multiple pieces. Uh, that's how heavy this man is and how hard he hit. Uh, I am shocked that he took this bump from the apron of the ring down to the floor with, I mean, right through a table. So uh, I completely earned so much respect for Shaquille O'Neal during this match. And uh, he, he over-delivered. 
And I highly, highly suspect we are going to see Shaq back in an AEW ring because that match was too damn good for him to just do a one and done. So we head to the summer of 1998, a great summer for pro wrestling. And as you mentioned, this pay-per-view all booked around two athletes, Dennis Rodman, who had worked with WCW before, and Carl Malone, who was making his pro wrestling debut um, and retirement match all at once in this pay-per-view from San Diego, California in July of 1998. As I mentioned, the summer of 1998, very memorable for pro wrestling. That was Highway to Hell. That was Heat Wave 98 in ECW. And it was Bash at the Beach in WCW. So a lot of very big wrestling pay-per-views for different reasons, uh, obviously, as we'll get into this one. But yeah, this involves a storyline between Dennis Rodman, who had been aligned with the NWO for a while now and was buddy-buddied with Hulk Hogan and had previously worked a pro wrestling match with WCW before where he infamously sort of fell asleep in the corner. And so this was going to be his redo, his uh, do-over. You know, uh, they say you don't get many do-overs in life. Well, Dennis Rodman wanted one because a year before at Bash at the Beach was where he teamed with Hogan in a loss to Lex Luger and the Giant. And uh, this was the one where he kind of fell asleep in the corner. And uh, he would come back in August of 97 at Road Wild. He he appeared as an imposter sting and hit Luger with a baseball bat to help Hogan win the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, which he had lost five days before. So this is Rodman's third pay-per-view appearance for WCW. Uh, well, actually fourth. He appeared in March of 97 at Uncensored. So uh, there you go. His fourth appearance overall. Story of Carl Malone and WCW goes to some jazz game that DDP happened to be at. And they made eye contact. Carl Malone did the diamond cutter sign. DDP met him and said, hey, man, you should really get into this. And he probably also said, WCW and Time Warner will pay for anybody. (laughs) They'll give you hundreds of thousands of dollars for next to nothing, Carl. So this is a really good business opportunity for you. And Carl Malone said, sign me up. And this all came together at a magnificent time for WCW because the Jazz and the Bulls played each other in the finals just the month before. And so Rodman... And Malone had some run-ins on the court. And Malone and the Jazz, of course, lost to the Bulls and Michael Jordan in six games. It was Jordan's final run with the Bulls. It was uh, one of the most memorable NBA playoff series of all time because a lot of people thought that the Jazz could be the ones to finally dethrone the, uh, the Bulls dynasty. But they fell victim like all the others because... Stockton and Malone were a hell of a combination. Unfortunately, just never. Carl Malone even joined up with the Lakers for one year to try to get a ring and joined up with Kobe Bryant and couldn't make it happen. Couldn't get that ring. Man never had a ring. So 
this is all centered around sports ball because Patrick, everyone knows if you love pro wrestling, you must love sports ball, which isn't entirely correct. But nevertheless, this pay-per-view did a really big buy rate, one of the biggest buy rates in WCW history and the biggest buy rate of 1998. This is it, Patrick. This is their Starcade of 98. Not even the Jay Leno pay-per-view the next month, Road Wild, would do as big as this one. Yeah, Bischoff versus Eubanks and DDP and Leno. Eubanks, the one hitting the fucking diamond cutter. Yeah, that. Yeah, we can save that one for way down the road. I don't want to watch that shit anytime. That soon. Is, okay, first of all, sorry, but tyrant for a second. How in the absolute all immortal hell is Hogan going to sell an arm ring, an arm wrench? From Jay Leno and people buy that shit. Whoever decided, hey, grab my arm and start twisting Leno was really fucking stupid. Well, they needed that picture. You know, that's what it was about. It was about the photo opportunity. I don't really think much how you get uh, defensive over the David Arquette thing. I don't think that was really all that bad. I know that. Uh, people like Jim Cornette's head would explode at the thought of Jay Leno putting a wrestling move on Hulk Hogan. But if they had watched this pay-per-view the month before Patrick, I think they would have understood and accepted what they saw in the main event because this this was a bad main event too. And it wasn't Carl Malone's fault. It wasn't, wasn't even Dennis Rodman's fault. It was really how they booked the match. And... It's the same thing with the Jay Leno match. You can book Jay Leno to hit a move. Like, I think it would have been better had he just, like, clotheslined Hogan because that's something you don't... That's not a submission hold. It's You don't have to fake pain for that. You know, anybody can hit you with an arm. If you're not paying attention, it could take you down. Like, maybe Hogan's back is turned and, and Jay Leno clotheslines him in the back of the neck. You know, that's something that I can buy. I really don't think that was the worst thing in the world. And... At the time, late night TV was still very, very popular and did amazing ratings. And Jay Leno was the king of the world in late night and did spectacular ratings and was relevant in pop culture. The biggest problem I have with that whole Road Wild situation is they did it for free, Patrick, because they don't they don't sell tickets to Road Wild. So they did it in Sturgis for free. Whatever they paid Jay Leno, whatever they paid Hulk Hogan, whatever they paid everybody else on that card, their gate that night was zero dollars and zero cents. And they could justify it, I guess, by saying, look at all this publicity we're getting, though. Well, that's not money is more important than publicity. You can. That's why Impact Wrestling is still a wrestling company in 2021, because somehow Despite having very little of it, they do have some money. I don't know how. They have enough to keep operating. They have no publicity. Nobody gives a shit. But they have enough. They can keep going from show to show. And that's what it takes to keep a wrestling company going. Not, oh, did you see? Did you see Jay Leno wrestle? Wow, that was... He was in WCW? Wow, I think I'm going to watch that. I'm getting way off subject. But... Yeah, so it was the summer of celebrity matches in WCW. You know why? Because 
Hogan doesn't have the belt anymore. Yes, this is also coming off of the big Georgia Dome Monday Nitro, where on four days' notice, they also gave Goldberg the world title. Critical mistakes being made here, also in the summer of 1998 for WCW. This was actually, honestly, Starcade 97 was bad, but the mistakes they made heading into January of 99 when they made the ultimate mistake with a finger poke, uh, the mistakes they were making along the way were bad, Patrick. Were very, very bad. Like giving away Goldberg and Hogan on TV. This company was obsessed with ratings and notoriety and publicity, but they didn't understand money. <laughs> so they didn't. So they left all the money on the table. And Hogan, with his contract, you know, he could he could do whatever he wanted. So. It wasn't even, and I mean, Hogan to this day will be like, well, I put Goldberg over. Yeah, but I, he did it on free TV. He wasn't going to lose on a pay-per-view. Hogan Hogan is really a big problem with WCW. It's because it, his creative control and his contract because, so they gave away Goldberg and Hogan on Monday Nitro. And so what do you send your first, this is the champ's first pay-per-view. Goldberg's first pay-per-view as world champion. He's not even in the main event. Why? Because Hogan can say who's in the main event. So this is just disaster. Like, you can see this is the SS Titanic, and they have taken the left turn, and they see the they don't see the iceberg <laughs> in the distance, but they have lined their ship up perfectly to collide with it on January 4th, 1999. <laughs> uh, so that's what's actually happening here. So just before we get into this pay-per-view, just let that sink in for a while, that while the company is riding high and everybody's just making lots of money and everybody's happy and wrestling's hot all over, just realize that the critical mistakes are being made in WCW. The things that would put it out of business. As we approach, Patrick, by the time this this uh, podcast comes out, we will be 20 years since the demise of WCW. Almost to the day. March 26, 2001. I said that's rough. To think it is, it's been that long. It is. It is rough. It makes me feel very, very old to know that that's now two decades old. That if... I was watching something in 1999. If I was watching either their products in 99, then that would mean that someone was talking to me about wrestling from 1979. <laughs> That's wild to think about. This is from San Diego, California, from the Cox Arena in front of 10,095 people. The tagline, like skinny dipping in the shark tank, somebody's going down. I don't know what that, that means, but... Uh, that's the tagline. We missed the dark match. Viano 4 and Viano 5 defeated Damien and Cyclope. So, sorry. Uh, no dark match on the network. And we will uh, likely never see those matches on the network now, now that it's going away. We start with a shitty opening intro where it looks like the TV... Do not adjust your set, folks. It's just how WCW presented this opening. It looks like your TV is broken because it's, like, staticky. The images are distorted. And it hypes Goldberg. And then it hypes the Rodman and Malone match with seagulls squalling in the background because we're in San Diego. Now... 
It hypes only Goldberg. It doesn't mention his match because they had to rebook Goldberg's match, as we'll talk about later on. You see, Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone were not the only athlete celebrities competing on this show. Oh, no. We had another returning celebrity athlete that was going to be a part of this show who was originally supposed to team with Goldberg and whose match ended up by Goldberg winning the championship. It cost this man a win, unfortunately. So, uh, which is wild to think about that heading into this pay-per-view, he was going to be a winner until his partner won the belt. And then they had to change. Tony calls this the WCW Midsummer Classic, borrowing a line from baseball about the all-star game. Our commentators tonight, Mike Tanay, Tony Schiavone, and Bobby Heenan, who are all decked out in their Hawaiian shirts, and they welcome us in with this classic Bash at the Beach set, Patrick. Do you love these custom WCW sets? I do. I miss the custom sets so bad, because I think that that adds something extra to a pay-per-view that is missing to this day. Yeah, they can sometimes use it in the matches, as we saw later on in this pay-per-view. Tony brags about all the media coverage here for Rodman and Malone, and then Mike Tanay would list some of them off. It's like, oh, we've got AP, we've got ESPN, we've got Reuters, we've got all these things. And this is a tactic that the WWE playbook would employ for the rest of time, because now anytime something happens where WWE makes any kind of news... They hype it up. They're like, as first reported in Sports Illustrated, WWE has signed such and such. Well, that's because WWE sent them a press release. So it's not them reporting. You told them about it. That's how they got the scoop. It's not like they're doing reporting. You're just you're sending it. And whoever picks it and prints it up first, that they're the ones who gets the credit. So. I hate it when WWE does this today. They toss to Mean By God Gene, who hypes Goldberg's title match against Kurt Hennig tonight. Title match, you say? Kurt Hennig? Yes, that's right. As I mentioned earlier, Kurt Hennig was supposed to team up with the Giant to take on Goldberg and Kevin Green, the late Kevin Green, in a tag match. That was what they were doing tonight. But instead, Kurt Hennig got promoted to number one contender, Patrick. Don't you like how... Life works sometimes. <laughs> you're in a meaningless tag match. Now you're the number one contender. So things worked out well tonight, anyway, for Kurt Hennig. And then, of course, Gene hypes the hotline 900 909 9900. Kids, get your parents' permission before calling. The air raid siren brings out Perry Saturn. He's going to face Raven. There's some dissension within the flock, Patrick. Raven is out to his WWE theme, which is dubbed over his WCW theme. Saturn greets him in the aisleway with some right hands. You see, there's been some dissension in the flock. Saturn is out of line, and Saturn wants all the uh, flock members to be free. And Raven had insulted him and uh, put him down. So here we go. Raven's rules, so no DQ. Raven gets thrown into the rails a few times before Saturn brings him back in the ring. Saturn botches a top turnbuckle move, and he quickly hops up and hits Raven with a drop kick to cover his ass. Raven then gets a rope break from a leg submission, which, what about what about Raven's rules here? You, you get a rope break from a leg submission? I don't think so, but he does. Gut wrench suplex to Raven. Bobby points out Saturn ditched his jeans for Speedo trunks, so he's really ditched the flock. You can tell he's moved on because he's in 
He's in regular wrestling attire, not in blue jeans. That's how you know someone's leaving the flock. Saturn misses an Alabama jam. This allows Raven to get the table. He sets it up on the outside, wants to suplex Saturn on it, but Saturn crotches him to escape. Saturn ends up falling to the floor after missing an attack. Raven then rushes and leg sweeps Saturn into the guardrail, which probably hurt Raven just as much. Saturn tosses Raven in the corner, lands some kicks, then a T-bone suplex, then he grabs a chair and hits Raven with a springboard leg drop. He gets a near fall. Riggs and Lodi try to slow Saturn down, but he suplexes both of them at the same time. Springboards off the chair. Raven pulls Nick Patrick in front of him, so Nick Patrick takes a ref bump. Saturn bulldogs Raven into the steps, which Raven was not going to sell, so he got his hands away out. Raven gets sandwiched in the two tables that were set up outside the ring. Saturn goes to the top, but Canyon, who better than Canyon, comes in, saves Raven, but does so way too early. So Saturn clearly saw this happen, but jumped anyway, slid off the top table, and then splats into the floor without crashing through either table. This sucked. Ouch. This was one hell of a bump. Canyon hits Raven with a flatliner to the chair in the ring. So Canyon here is not on anybody's side. The flock rolls Saturn in, then rolls Raven over him for a near fall, because both men were out. Then Saturn needs a drop toehold into the chair, but gets nowhere near it either. He gets his hands way out. Super kick to Raven for a near fall, but Riggs comes in and saves him and eats the Death Valley driver. Saturn eats an even flow DDT. Seriously, like, with the one piece of offense Raven hit the whole match... An even flow DDT, one, two, three, Raven beats Saturn in a match that Saturn did all the work, took the biggest bump, and got nothing out of it other than probably uh, some brain damage. This was a really good match, a really good opening match, even with the interference, even though it was the flock who sucked in WCW, uh, but Saturn is a really good wrestler. Uh, I thought Raven did a good job selling for him. Uh, it just reminds me of how much bigger I thought Raven could have been in WCW and Saturn, for that matter. And, yeah, it went 10 minutes and 40 seconds, and I thought this was a really great opener. What did you think? I did, too. I thought this was a great match to kick off the show. It kicked it off at a really good high note. And I was feeling well thinking man this is going to be one hell of a pay-per-view yeah i thought we were in store for an easy night and uh no patrick we we were not in store for an easy night mean gene brings out eddie guerrero for an interview because that's what i want on a pay-per-view an interview eddie put his mullet on the line tonight it's a hair versus hair match he's gonna face chavo if chavo can get past stevie ray of harlem heat oh sorry he has to face eddie no matter what so chavo can get his ass kicked by Stevie Ray or just beat Stevie Ray, Eddie still has to face him either way. So Eddie expects to win easily because Stevie Ray is going to uh, murder this man, um, in Eddie's opinion. And then Eddie is going to send Bald Chavo to his mama, which is Eddie's sister-in-law, I guess. <laughs> so... You know, I think if anybody is eminently qualified to discuss a hair versus hair match, Eddie Guerrero, I believe I might be that person. First of all, you have your nephew, Chavo Guerrero, meeting the big Harlem Heat, Stevie Ray. I think that's going to give you a very unfair competitive advantage when later on you meet him in the actual hair versus hair match. You know, Gene, when I went home the other night looking and thinking 
at the match ahead, hair versus hair. Chavo, I can't deny but to admit that yes, I was concerned a little bit, wacko, because I know that you're not really there. But brother, when you really accepted to get in the ring, when you challenged Stevie Ray to get in the ring and wrestle him before you got a match with me, oh man, did I know you were whacked out for sure. Brother, all I'm gonna have to do is just come in and pick up what's left of you because you know what Stevie Ray's gonna do to you? He's gonna demolish you and just leave you lying in the ring with no hope whatsoever, Chowell. And just like a great uncle and loving uncle that I am, I'm just gonna come in, frog splash you, give you a nice haircut, and send you back home to mama. You really are going to give your nephew, if you win the match, a haircut? I am not only gonna cut his hair, but in front of all these San Diego morons, I am going to shave his head. All right, a very determined Eddie Guerrero. First of all, it's gonna be Stevie Ray and Chavo, and then hair versus hair. Eddie and Chavo Guerrero, uncle and nephew, right here at Bash at the Beach. Tony, let's get back to you, Mike and the Brain. Uh, there you have it. That is the Eddie Guerrero interview. Kidman is out to a dubbed over theme. I think he's still with the flock. So Lodi is out with him. So yes, he is still with the flock, but he is, he's transitioning. Uh, he's, uh, slowly transitioning to a not so dirty looking man. He's going to take on Hoovy, Hoovy Juice, Hoovy Guerrero, um, youth warrior in Spanish. Hoovy beat Reese. And he beat Kidman in recent months, so he's been lined up with the uh, flock. So this is just a uh, thrown-together match. They said, why not? You guys go out and have some fun. Lodi takes Hoovy out and decks him in the shoulder. Kidman tries a Pescado but takes out Lodi as Hoovy gets away. Hoovy springboard splashes Kidman and Lodi out on the aisleway. They get in the ring. Kidman reverses some Hoovy offense into a rele- released German that Hoovy takes on his neck. Ouch. Kidman drops Hoovy by the throat on the guardrail as the guardrail was a popular destination tonight, as well as getting a chair. Chairs and guardrails were in high demand tonight. Hoovy responds by knocking Kidman into the guardrail, then back body drops him onto the ring mats. He powerbombs Kidman off the apron to the mats. Ouch. Lodi sucks chance breakout in San Diego as these two amazing cruiserweights are fighting and the crowd is chanting Lodi sucks. So... Lodi was somewhat over in San Diego in a bad way, I guess. Hoovy wants a Frankensteiner off the top rope, but Kidman counters with a sit-out powerbomb for a near fall and probably the highlight of the night as this thing was awesome looking. Hoovy ends up on the outside. Kidman goes up to the top turnbuckle. Hoovy crotches Kidman on the ropes to escape. Hoovy hits a springboard Rana for a two count, followed by bridging Northern Lights for a two count, then a Uranagi for a two count. Hoovy driver, but Kidman kicks out. Kidman goes for the seven-year itch, the shooting star press, but he misses as Hoovy rolls out of the way. Hoovy goes for the 450 and hits it directly into Kidman's ribs. Ouch. Uh, this is what would get Hoovy uh, somewhat in trouble. I don't know if it got him fired in the WWE, but they told him, you know, watch out the 450. You're hurting people with it, and he landed directly on someone's face in the WWE with it. So that's why Hoovy didn't last too long there. And here he directly hit Kidman's ribs at about 100 miles an hour. And so there you go. Hoovy beats Kidman. So the flock are 
one and one tonight, and they're done. So, what do you think of this cruiserweight match, Patrick? For a thrown together match, I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I'm they didn't botch like uh, Perry Saturn did in the first match. It was another match that ran about ten minutes, and it was fine. It, it didn't have any you know ramifications in the in the division i wish it was like a number one contenders match or had some further backstory mike Tanay tried to you know say oh well who has been fighting with the flock on thunder so this just makes sense but uh, i wish that they'd just thrown some kind of meaning attached to it but no they didn't it was fine it was on a nitro it would be probably you know, a, a huge match on Nitro, but on a pay-per-view, it's just sort of like, yeah, well, this is great, but it's just not, you guys aren't stars, really. And this match means nothing. Uh, WCWWrestling.com has Lee Marshall interviewing Conan. Conan says everybody is bowdy-bowdy and rowdy-rowdy. Conan oh. remarks on Lee Marshall's shirt. He's got his Hawaiian shirt on, too. Tony the Tiger. On the switch, and all of a sudden, everybody wants to hang with K-Dog. Everybody, everybody wants to be rowdy, rowdy, and bowdy, bowdy. But I know everybody can't hang with you. It's yeah, just like the switches in a lowrider, like the hydraulics going up and down, side to side, pancake. That's why we're hot right now. I think, you know, who don't want to hang out with the capo? Kevin Nash, Sting, Lex Luger, Macho. I mean, I could, you know, hey, man, we're going to have this party down in T. You know what? What's it? I got a question, Lee. Yeah. This sweet shirt you got on, man. Did, did Skittles have a shirt giveaway? No, you, you won that or You what? don't recognize this came from Sanchez the Hatter in East L.A. Uh, I'm surprised you don't have a closet full nah, of this. Nah, nah, man. But, you know, my tío Chuy and my Aunt Marta, yeah. they're out in the parking lot, man. They're selling some fish. No, no, no. It's time for the hair versus hair match, part one anyway. Stevie Ray of Harlem Heat is out to take on Chavo Guerrero. Stevie Ray, this is pre-Hollywood Stevie Ray, as he would be part of NWO Hollywood coming up at Fall Brawl. So he's still with Harlem Heat. Chavo has terrible music. He's also got a super soaker and inflatable pool toy inner tube as he was doing his crazy gimmick here he hadn't got the horse yet i don't think what was the horse's name patrick do you recall pepe 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 the stick horse he hadn't got yet eddie he comes out with scissors to watch because he figures stevie ray is just gonna hit him with the slapjack and eddie's gonna walk in there and cut some hair and be done for the night chavo grabs the mic and he dedicates his this match to his favorite wrestler eddie guerrero that he had a t-shirt that said that as well he said, this is for you, little trooper, which was pretty funny, actually. I, I dedicate this match to my favorite wrestler, Eddie Guerrero. This is for you, little trooper. Chavo strikes some poses that almost make Stevie Ray laugh. Stevie Ray almost breaks character here and laughs when, when Chavo hulks up on him at the start of the match. The bell rings. Chavo wants a handshake. Stevie Ray gives him a handshake. Ding, ding, ding. The match is over. (laughs) Match of the night, Patrick, in my book. One minute, 35 seconds. Stevie Ray loses to a handshake submission. Phenomenal. Five stars. uh, A classic. One that will be remembered for generations to come. Yeah, so I guess Chavo had Stevie Ray was in on it and said, you know what, I'm not a part of this. What do I get out of this? You know, I don't get to cut your hair. I don't get the satisfaction of that. So I'm out of here. He's got his own family problems to take care of later tonight. So he doesn't have time for this. Time for Eddie to get in there. 
Eddie rips off his shirt and goes into the ring. Chavo bites Eddie on the bottom, and Eddie bails. Eddie wants to show Charles Robinson the bite marks, but he doesn't do that, because uh, this is a PG-rated show, folks. Eddie grabs a chair and wants to bring that into the ring, but Chavo grabs it and sits down in the ring. Eddie wants a handshake. I don't know why, after seeing what just happened. But Chavo declines until he grabs his hand and clotheslines him, followed by a back body drop. He goes and bites Eddie's backside again while Eddie cowers near Charles Robinson. Eddie dropkicks Chavo in the kidneys and hits a brain buster in a seated dropkick. Eddie takes Chavo outside the ring, flings him into the rails, Eddie gives Chavo a gory special in the center of the ring. David Penzer holds on to the clippers while Chavo's in a camel clutch. Chavo goes on the attack after the submission, hits a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker to Eddie. Eddie is able to dump Chavo to the floor by his tights. Eddie rips the mats away, wants a suplex, but Chavo reverses it into one of his own. Chavo brings him back into the ring, but gets crotched on the buckle. This allows Eddie to hit a superplex. Chavo tries a frog splash on Eddie, but Eddie, he has that move pretty well scouted. He hits Chavo with his knees. Eddie then tornado DDTs Chavo, so he uses Chavo's finisher where Chavo couldn't use his. Eddie then grabs the scissors. Charles Robinson snatches them away. He tries a frog splash on Chavo, but it misses. Chavo hits his tornado DDT, then grabs the scissors. Eddie inside cradles him while Charles Robinson was trying to take the scissors away. And one, two, three... Eddie gets the win and Chavo's hair in this hair versus hair match of which Bobby Heenan said he had never seen a hair versus hair match. And I guess he must have missed Roddy Piper and Adrian Adonis at WrestleMania three because Bobby Heenan definitely saw a hair versus hair match before this match was okay. But it just doesn't make any sense when you see what happens next. But the match was actually okay because I could really tell that Eddie wanted to make Chavo look good and get this character with Chavo over and get Chavo some sort of something going. And he worked his ass off and he let Chavo get a lot of offense. in. now he didn't let him hit a frog splash on him because Eddie, even Eddie has some limits, but uh, he did, I think bring out the best in Chavo. What did you think of this match? I thought it was an outstanding match. Uh, Definitely something that I think was a standout for Chavo to break into his own character, which then we got, you know, the crazy Chavo with Pepe and all that. Uh, I But I enjoyed the hell out of it because it gave us that 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 type of character with with uh, Chavo. Yeah, well, this is the reason I, I don't like it, though, is because of what happens after the match now. All Eddie wanted to do was shave this guy's head and cut his hair. So the clippers are handed to Eddie. But Chavo instead steals it away and starts shaving his own head. And this makes Eddie flip out and say, oh my goodness, this guy's crazy, and then leave. But Eddie knew he was crazy going into the match. And also, Chavo, if this is what you were going to do all along, why did you even fight the match? Why not just go in there and fucking lose right away. Why not, after the Stevie Ray thing, grab the clippers, shave your head, and avoid the loss? Why even bother? Like, if you're really crazy, just shave your head before the match even starts in a hair versus hair match, and then say, hey, Eddie, I've got nothing to lose now. See, I'm crazy. Like, I just didn't understand this. I mean, I, I get it that they're trying to make him crazy, and that they're almost trying to babyface Eddie, and that now he's concerned for him. Like, now... Now he's concerned that, for him. Oh, he's shaved his own head. And that would have been absolutely awesome, except for the fact that he, uh, Chavo had shaved his head before the match. 
and then ended up actually winning, costing Eddie to then have to shave his head. That would have been awesome. Yeah, but then we would have lost Eddie's mullet, and that's true. no good. Yeah, so I just thought if you're going to do the crazy thing, I think there were better ways to have done it. But the match was okay. Jericho was supposed to fight Dean Malenko, but Dean Malenko, oh man, it takes a lot to make Dean Malenko mad enough to get suspended. But Chris Jericho found a way because he insulted Boris, who had been dead for years at this point. Um well, he insulted Dean Malenko's mother really more so than Boris and saying that Dean Malenko's mother got lonely and that's why Dean Malenko's brother doesn't look like him, implying that the mother cheated, not Dean's dad. So anyway, uh, they had a no contact clause and Dean broke which it. Is, so. Which is outstanding and fantastic of an excuse to use. Well, especially for what they had planned tonight and what they would do on Nitro the next night. Uh, yeah, they they had something in, in store here tonight. Uh, we don't have that match. Instead, summon Disco Inferno with Alex Wright, the Dancing Fools. And they poke fun at Conan's talk-up to no reaction as the crowd didn't give a shit about these two. The disco in front of, I think you said it right there, Mike. Ganz genau, warum jeder heute Abend hier ist. Und zwar, um Disco Inferno und Alex Wright tanzen zu sehen. Yep. What do you mean, yep? You understood what he said? Yeah, well, didn't you? You know, Conan is not the only one that knows the South Hispanic scene. Me and Alex are getting with the lingo of these people. Alex, hit him with some of that. Oh, this is sad. They're not even close, they're, are they? They're, they're Everybody here in Sand Dog knows that the Disco Inferno and Alex Wright are bounty, bounty, rowdy, rowdy. Where's Chuck Now I'll tell you. I really don't know what the hell all that means. Neither do we. But it probably means You're that kidding. everybody came here tonight to see the Disco Inferno and Alex Wright dance. So hit our music. Oh. We'll pack in the house. Here's K-Doc. His opponent representing the red and black of the NWO Wolfpack. Oh. Crush a lot. 
Yo, 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 let me speak on you. Califas, esta es mi casa. Now let me speak on this. Orale. Arriba la raza. The Wolfpack and Sand Dog is Bowdy Bowdy. But they did care about the Wolfpack as the Wolfpack music hits and Conan comes out with Luger and Nash, who this is all Luger and Nash did tonight. They got a payday tonight to do to do this. And Stevie Ray got a payday to do a handshake and to check on Booker T later on in the night. So some of the easiest money was made here tonight with these three individuals. Uh, Nash says Wolfpack in the house. He says Wolfpack aren't players. They just crush a lot as 1998 Kevin Nash was really into rap. Conan does his thing. Luger, he does his thing. He says nothing. So he did the Lex Luger thing. This is the match, ladies and gentlemen. Conan hits his X-Factor and rolling clothesline. Right attacks Conan when Disco jumps him out of the ring. Nash and Luger didn't see it, but Luger racks Alex Wright anyway. Jack Knight to Disco Inferno behind the ref's back as Nash gets in the ring. And just for good measure, Conan locks on a Tequila Sunrise, and Conan wins the match in about two and a half minutes. And the crowd fucking loved this shit. That's how over the, the wolf pack was. They didn't care what it was. As long as you hit the wolf pack music, said all the shit, they loved it. And, of course, WCW would need to break this group up come January, just as soon as possible. What did you think of... Conan versus Disco Inferno. Festival de Lucha preview here. Yes, yes. I enjoyed it. Obviously, Conan was going to whoop his ass, and that, he took it to him pretty hard. But I thought it was it was pretty actually a pretty entertaining disco match. It was a way to get uh, the Wolfpack guys on the card and sell some t-shirts, and it didn't take too long. I wish it had taken longer knowing what happened in the main event, but it didn't. The Giant comes out next. He looks pissed off because he was going to be in a tag match against Goldberg, and now he's taking on Kevin Green. Uh, Kevin Green was going to be Goldberg's tag team partner, which meant that he would have won tonight because they wouldn't have broken Goldberg's streak in a tag match. But now, since Kevin Green's all by himself, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, Green smacks the Giant, and Giant misses a big chop in the corner, then Green bails out of the ring. Giant tries to come back in the ring, and Green crotches him on the ropes. Kevin Green does some corner punches. Giant finally catches him, slams him down, drops an elbow on him. Goldberg chances the crowd loses interest when this match slows down. They just do not give a shit. Green gets taken to the outside. He hits a flying forearm from the top turnbuckle for a two-count on the Giant. That's as close as he would get, even though he hits a chop block to the Giant's knee and kicks at it. But it doesn't matter, because Giant catches him in the corner by the throat Choke slam, awesome, early Paul White career choke slam. One, two, three, Giant wins the match and probably lights up a cigarette shortly thereafter. I feel bad for Kevin Green because he was going to be in a featured match with the guy, the guy, Goldberg. And he was going to get a win. But instead, Patrick, instead, he got to get squashed by the Giant who was going nowhere, who had probably put in his notice at this point that he was leaving in February. <laughs> I just, I feel bad for Kevin Green. And especially, he had probably signed on for this match before the Malone deal. So he was probably thinking, 
oh shit, man, I'm going to be the featured athlete on this card. Instead, he is an afterthought. And he had done matches with WCW before with Reggie White and with, uh, of course, the greatest horseman of all time, Steve Mongo McMichael. And oh, shut the, shut the hell shut up. up. Uh, what, what are you talking Mongo. about? Yeah, he, yeah he's, a, he's a great stop. horseman. He's stop. not a great wrestler, but he's a good horseman. He had a briefcase. He was cool. Um, he was he was horrible. He couldn't get through one match without screwing something up. I would be scary to work with that guy. Uh, I would yes. rather work with Kevin Green, because at least I know Kevin Green isn't going to tombstone me as his finishing move. What did you think of uh, Kevin Green here against the Giant? I enjoyed I enjoy watching Kevin Green wrestle, and uh, I thought it was he had a pretty decent match. Surprisingly, pulled out with uh, with him and the Giant, and you know the Giant has stated over and over again around this time he was still real young and and still trying to learn stuff and and wasn't fully developed. And so for Kevin Green, who obviously was not fully developed either, for two guys that still had a lot to learn and but both be able to go out there and put on the match they put on i i give them two thumbs up they they delivered they did the best they could with uh six minutes on short notice where both of these guys thought that they would get to sit in the corner and wait for a tag for most of the match lee marshall is with kurt henning at wcwwrestling.com Hennig challenged Goldberg before he was champion and knows he has what it takes to beat Goldberg. And Lee Marshall says, well, what is that? And he says, I've got experience. And Goldberg doesn't have endurance. Well, he was shooting here for a second. Uh, Hennig says he can go all night, which is slightly sexual sounding. Here we go. Beating these so-called unbeatable guys, but today, Bash of the Beach, it's you and Goldberg for the big strap, an unbeaten man, and what an opportunity for you to get back into the winner's circle today. Well, you know, if you think back, Lee, I'm the one who made the issue, the challenge out to Goldberg before he was WCW World Champion. I made that challenge to him because I know I have the secret. I know what it takes to beat Goldberg. You do? Of course I do. what is it? It's 17 years experience. It's knowing the ring inside and out. It's knowing when to do things, how to do them, and where to do them. All right, you've obviously found Experience is what I'm talking Does about. Does he have a weakness, then? Of course he has a weakness well, in it. Inexperience. And his other weakness is, what's here? The lungs. <laughs> I'm the guy that can go all night. All I got to do is wear Goldberg down. Not like- We go to highlights from Nitro where Jericho taunts Dean Malenko and causes him to fuck up and lose a match against Booker T. Then on Thunder, J.J. Dillon tells him that there's a no-touching policy. No touching. No, no touch. Then Jericho, of course, does the, uh, you'll hear it here. Someone's got a microphone. Who's saying, hey? Dino Machino! I'm sick and tired of you following me and running for me each and every week. So tonight... Tonight, come on out here and face me. The time has come for us to settle this once and for all, Daddy-O. So come on down. Come on down here. Oh. Axe kick in the back of the head. One, two, three. Pretty apparent what went down right there. 
Uh-oh, hold on here. J.J. does not need to be in the middle of this thing. You both have been put on written notice that there's to be no physical contact between either of you prior to Bash at the Beach on Sunday. And if either of you makes a move and touches the other, immediate disqualification for Bash at the Beach. We both grew up without our father's guidance. We both grew up with our fathers on the road, missing him, just as your young daughter misses you while you're on the road, Dean. And think about your dad. Think about how lonely he must have been. Every night in a different city, every night in a different hotel, he must have craved human companionship. And think about how hard it must have been for your mother. And have you ever wondered why you and your brother look absolutely nothing alike? That's enough. Oh. That's enough. He snapped. He snapped. And do you blame him at all? I would have snapped before. And I, let's not pull him off. Turn him loose. You're not kidding. Turn him loose. And here comes Malenko. He's still popping. Dean Malenko is in. This match is thrown out. And Malenko doesn't give a darn. Guess he didn't get his money's worth earlier. But now he is. Look at the dragon. Look, he says, go get him. He's trying to take him right out. It's what he's trying to do. He's pulling his hair out by the roots. He's, you're exactly right. He's pulling on the hair. Security has come out. He's got a handful. Look at that. He ripped his hair out from the roots. Give it to me. And he's still going at it. Look at security. They're trying to. And he's still tearing the hair out. They cannot stop this man. I tell you, Jericho needs to run for his life is what he needs to do. And they're still physically holding Malenko back. What's funny about that is that uh, Dean's brother looks a lot like Dean Malenko. They almost look exactly alike, honestly. So this joke makes zero sense. But uh, Dean then attacked him on Nitro uh, after touching him on Thunder. So after punching him on Thunder, that wasn't good enough. So he attacked him on Nitro, too. And that was too much. Now you're suspended. See, you had already lost the match. Well, now you're suspended. And he ripped Jericho's hair extensions out. What an asshole Dean Malenko is. Jericho comes out to his dubbed over theme music, and he's got a magic wand and a magician's hat. And I was afraid here that we were going to get a magic show. But instead, he was going to do some soft shoe and not magic. So it was a dancing hat and a dancing wand. J.J. Dillon interrupts this bullshit. Dillon informs Jericho that he's found a replacement. All right, all right, you all know the story. Stinko Malenko, you went and got yourself suspended. So you robbed all the fans of the match tonight. But I would never, ever rob the fans. I told you I was going to come out here and do a little soft shoe routine. I got my top hat. I got my cane. So I'm going to break it down for you and do a little soft shoot for you right now. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. What are you doing out here? Can't you see I'm going to do a little soft shoot for these people? Sing a little song? Hey, what's, wrong, what's wrong with you, man? Get a life, JoJo. Look, I just wanted to come out here and to say that Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I misjudged you. And if I was wrong about you, I would be the first one to come out here and publicly say I was wrong. 
offer an apology. Let's let bygones be bygones. Well, thank you very much. It's about, it's about time. But I, I just sense that I, I'm surprised how many fans you really have. I have to admit it. Millions. Jericho-holics everywhere. And I, I sense that a lot of these people came here tonight, and I, I think there's a little bit of disappointment because they, they really wanted to see you not only see you wrestle, but they wanted to see you defend your belt. Yes, they I did. I just think they're really disappointed. They are disappointed, but it's Malenko's fault. What can I do, JoJo? I'm here. He's not here. Well, I, I, I didn't get a chance to discuss it with you before, but I got on the phone to see if there wasn't somebody I could find locally that maybe would come down here, spur of the moment. And I, there was one guy that said, I'll come down, very short notice. You know, the thought of being in the ring with you, the champion, pay-per-view audience, millions of people said he would come down, but, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I mean, it's really up to you. A local guy? Yeah. An independent jabroni sort of thing? He, he hasn't wrestled in six months. So hasn't know. wrestled in six months, and he wants to come in the ring with me for a title shot. Not very experienced, young man. Can it still be a no disqualification match? Huh? You really want a no disqualification uh, match? Well, I mean, this young guy's got to learn a trick or two from the master, from the master. He hasn't wrestled in six months. I mean, I, that, might, that might be taking advantage. I'll tell you what. I'll bring this kid up to a different level. Bring in this jobber right now. Let me do a little match with him. I'll teach him a thing or two. Let's get this thing. Yeah, I'll do it. Sure, I got some time to kill. I think the people want to see me wrestle. That's why they came. Yeah, you're not kidding. You we do. You'll accept it. Yeah, why not? Chris Jericho equals buy rate. All right, then it's official. We'll have a title match. Bring it in. Oh, hey. Hey, hey, if you know that music. We, we know that music. Jericho, why did you even show up? You didn't have a match tonight. Isn't that weird that you showed up and you didn't have a match? <laughs> and you walked to the ring? Why did you do that? Jericho says, okay, fine. Bring out some... Uh, hometown jobber. I'll beat him. Dylan says, okay. And then Rey Mysterio's music hits. And it's San Diego. It's his hometown, Patrick. But he didn't get a huge, massive... He got a good reaction because he was returning from injury. He was wearing a knee brace, which uh, Mike Tanay mentioned was his first knee injury. So this is a historic moment here. And since he's been off, Patrick, he's been hitting the gym because Rey Mysterio is jacked. He's also been hitting the fucking tanning bed because he is three shades darker than Hulk Hogan. And that is crazy. Like I said, it's his hometown, but see that WCW does a shitty job of telling you where people are from and giving you any backstory. So I guarantee you most of the people in the crowd did not know exactly where he was from until David Penzer said he's from San Diego. <laughs> so, uh, thanks. So Rey Mysterio is Jericho's opponent, and the belt is on the line. Rey lands a springboard leg drop to the back of Jericho's head with his bad knee. So good good way to test your knee out right away. Rey almost fucks up a tilt-a-whirl head scissors that sends Jericho into the rail. Jericho focuses on Rey's knee, which has a brace, so it's a big target. Jericho walks down to the beach set. He climbs the lifeguard stand to drop on Rey, but Rey instead goes up. And Ron is him into the sand and almost necks himself on the sand because the sand pile was so high when Ray tried this Hurricane Rana off the lifeguard stand, he almost went right back on the injured list with a broken neck because this was scary. Like, and this was 
it was awesome. It was probably the highlight of the night, <laughs> but it was also really scary because I know, I know sand is soft, but when it's piled like that, it's not so soft for anybody that's fallen on on the beach or anything you know it's it's, it's not great hard. yeah yeah and uh flying cross when they get back in the ring that's a two count for ray jericho hits a power slam to ray off the top turnbuckle he grabs a chair slams it into ray's knee this is fine apparently jericho tries to drop a knee off the top turnbuckle but ray moves out of the way ray then decks jericho in the leg with the chair and then drop kicks the chair into jericho's knees ouch Ray hits a springboard, but Jericho catches him, tries the lion tamer, but Ray makes it to the ropes. Dean Malenko then walks out wearing a Malenko shirt where it just shows his eyes because WCW marketing didn't know what to do with Dean Malenko, so they printed a shirt with his eyes on it. Jericho tries the lion tamer again, but Ray grabs Jericho's legs and pins him for a title win as he was distracted by Dean Malenko. And this title win would last 24 hours until... The title was handed back over to Jericho on Monday night. So a dusty finish here. Um, but what did you think of this match, Patrick? I wasn't a big fan of it, actually, which is shocking, but I just didn't I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, Ray was kind of sloppy. Uh, Jericho was fine, I guess. The crowd wasn't that into it, even though, like I said, it's their hometown hero. Dean Malenko, he was so enraged, Patrick. Even though he was suspended, he made it into the arena, and he made it into the arena, Patrick, to stand at ringside. This man was seeing red. He was so enraged. Doug Dillinger, good job, buddy. You just let the guy walk in and do that. And anyway, they would justify this to give Jericho his belt back the next night. They would say that, ah, since Malenko was there and he was suspended, here you go, Jericho, have the belt back, which is awesome, but... Makes no sense. Ray didn't deserve the belt anyway, based on his performance. But he probably wasn't ready to come back. He probably came back too early, and this would lead him to a lifetime of knee problems. And also the fact that he's an insanely high-flying wrestler who lands on his knees a lot. But So Dean Malenko did get his hands on Jericho, as uh, Arn Anderson just let him fight. He just let him go at it. <laughs> he just said, fuck it, you guys can go at it. And they fight near the production trucks. And, and Ray celebrates with his belt that he would give back tomorrow. Bret Hart walks out to NWO music despite not wearing a single piece of NWO gear. There's no way to know if this man was actually ever with the NWO during this time. He fought with Team NWO at, at Fall Brawl, but I still don't understand if he was actually with the NWO. I still, to this day, until he joined the NWO Silver and Black, I don't know. Because he never put on the t-shirt. He is going to face Booker T for the TV title. Yes, Bret Hart, five-time WWF champion, has decided, you know what? Fuck the main event. I'm going for the TV title. So Booker comes out. He's wearing a big knee brace as well, so everyone's got bad knees. This is off the heels of the best of seven series with Booker and Chris Benoit, which actually went to eight matches. And uh, Booker ended up with the TV belt. Flying forearm from Booker for a near fall to Brett. An awful looking kick and snapmare from Booker to Brett. Brett must have been getting pissed here. Brett was getting hip tossed out of the ring. He gets thrown into the rails, as everybody did tonight. A man with an awesome gray mullet is on the hard camera at ringside, and I can't take my eyes off him. This is in San Diego, of all places, in 1998. So this mullet was, uh, it put Eddie Guerrero's mullet to shame. A big Alabama slam for a near fall from Booker to Brett. 
Brett clotheslines Booker out of the ring, takes him to the guardrails, rams Booker back into the post. They get back in the ring. Brett hits a backbreaker, followed by his second rope elbow for a two-count, Russian leg sweep for a two-count, stomps a mud hole into Booker T, but then Booker botches a roll-up attempt on Brett. Oh, no. The shame. Spinning heel kick to Brett, axe kick to Brett, and he's slow to get up. I'm sure Brett wasn't thrilled with this match or Booker's kicks, as we all know that Goldberg ended Brett's career with kicks, so I'm sure Brett did not like taking kicks. Booker hits the missile drop kick, but Brett gets a foot on the rope. He outsmarted Booker T. Brett grabs a chair, slams it into Booker, who was diving over the ropes, and then hits him a second time, and this, this is what gets him DQ'd. So ding, 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 DQ for a chair shot, even though earlier tonight it was fine. But this was too much. Too much, my friends. Bret Hart is out of control. Uh, Chairs were a hot item tonight. Bret attacks Booker's knee brace with the chair. Then he does the figure four to Booker on the buckle, which uh, is weird. Why does Bret hate Booker T so much? I don't understand this. I know he's a a heel, but like he doesn't really have any any feud with Booker. This is just to get over. Bret is a mean guy. And it's to build this story that comes up next is Stevie Ray finally saunters out. He doesn't run to the ring to help his brother, and Brett just slowly releases the figure four and leaves. Stevie Ray then scolds Booker T. I tried to tell you, sucker. <laughs> and Booker, in selling his bad leg, says, Ah, shit. Ah, shit. And Stevie drags Booker out and shoes off the trainers and makes wants Booker to have to walk it off. The man might have a torn ACL, and Stevie Ray's like, no, nah, no, nah, you got to walk this. You, you're an idiot. You got to walk this one. And finally, Billy Silverman helps uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray helps a little bit. And they walk uh, Booker T out of the ring. So Brett, who had his own feud with his brother a few years ago, is introducing us to another brother versus brother feud. But this match stunk. I did not like this match. What did you think about Booker T and Brett? Uh, I wasn't a big fan of this match either. Yeah, and it's disappointing because I think they were both really good athletes, even in 98 for Brett, who was, you know, getting on up there in his career. But Booker T was in the prime of his and had just come off a great series with Benoit and had had good matches earlier in the year with Rick Martel and had gotten all the fans behind him and everything. And I think he was nervous because he was working with Brett. He botched some stuff, like some basic stuff. He was really stiff with his kicks. Brett didn't want to be there. Booker didn't want to really do this match. So, yeah, you could feel it. Uh, We get a recap of Goldberg winning the title on Nitro, first running through Hall and then beating Hogan. Time for the final two matches. First, the title match, of course. Hogan contractually uh, gets to main event. Uh, He gets to do whatever he wants. He had the world's greatest contract ever. Michael Buffer does his thing. Kurt Henning comes out looking jacked. He didn't even bother with his singlet straps, Patrick. He was ready to fucking fight. He came out ready to fight. Goldberg comes out to make his first title defense. No big Goldberg walkout yet. No, he didn't didn't get the uh, security guards with him. But he gets a massive reaction. This crowd fucking loved this guy. Right here is when you know they made a mistake by not putting this as the main event. He's 111-0, according to Michael Buffer. He's probably more like 60-something-0, but that's fine. 
His head is, of course, busted open from slamming it against his his locker room door. Pre-match tradition that would discontinue a few years ago when he concussed himself before his match with The Undertaker in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Henning is sporting a knee brace, too, so everybody's rocking knee braces. Henning supercells a shoulder block from Goldberg, then gets halfway power slammed. I say halfway because it's Goldberg doing it. Big chops from Henning. This match was supposed to happen at the last pay-per-view, but Henning had a knee injury, so... This is, in a way, Henning's finally getting his opportunity here. But now it's for the world title. Henning gets slammed off the top turnbuckle. Henning works over Goldberg's knee and ankle. Goldberg rolls Henning into a knee bar, in quotation marks. But Henning gets to the ropes. A perfect plex to Goldberg for a two count. Then you know what's next. His two moves of doom, the spear, the jackhammer, and the match is over. What did you think of Goldberg versus Kurt Henning? A very quick match that ended up having uh, Kurt uh, carry most of it. (laughs) I guess they didn't want to expose Goldberg, so they didn't want this match to go on any longer. But I would have loved to have actually seen Kurt put some wrestling holds on to Goldberg to actually get some shit in on Goldberg, as Steven Regal once did and other people. People that can wrestle that could get anything in on Goldberg is always fun to watch. But he didn't have enough time and (laughs) probably didn't want to be out there any longer. And was probably he probably had a feeling about the main event tonight and wanted them to have all the time in the world, Patrick, so they could go out there and shit the bed. I looked down at the counter on the WWE Network, which may or may not exist on the Peacock Network, but... There was 40 minutes left in this show, Patrick, 4-0, and I just, I collapsed in fear because this is where I just, I almost pulled my hair out because I, I there was no, uh, when I saw 40 minutes, I've, I've never seen this match in full before, but I knew we were into bad, <laughs> we were in big trouble here. A promo video with no narration plays for this match, a WCW tradition, which is so lame. I hate that they have promo videos with no narration. So they show all these highlights of all these guys interacting and how DDP and um, Malone saved Goldberg and basically cost Hogan the belt and all that stuff. Buffer introduces Hogan, Rodzilla, and the disciple, Ed Leslie. He gets a payday tonight. Rodzilla... He talked about this in the uh, Michael Jordan documentary. Uh, he didn't and he didn't bother getting in shape for this match and decided to wear his T-shirt because he saw how jacked Carl Malone was. DDP and Malone come out wearing matching wrestling gear, which is awesome. Malone rips off his shirt and he is jacked. Rodman decides to start the match with Malone. This is a bad decision. So the crowd greets them, this loving, warm San Diego crowd to the Chicago Bulls and Utah Jazz star. They chant, you both suck, (laughs) to Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman. Rodman, he just stalls. He can't figure out, do I want my sunglasses on? Do I want them off? Do I want my shirt on? Yeah, I want my shirt on. Do I want to lock up? Nah. Nah, maybe I do. Okay. So they lock up. Rodman tries a side headlock, and then he bails out. Rodman then just tags in Hogan, says, "You, you deal with it, man. So he takes on Malone. They pose at each other. Malone puts Hogan in a terrible front-facing headlock before finally slamming Hogan to a big pop. So anytime Malone would do a wrestling move that actually looked good, like an impact move, like 
a clothesline or a body slam, something simple. The crowd went nuts. So, yeah, keep doing that. But no, 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 not for us. DDP tags in and the crowd is thankful that a wrestler is now in. DDP wants Rodman, who gets shoved down by Paige. Boring chance as Rodman continues to stall. He just does not want to wrestle tonight. Rodman then arm drags DDP to a mild reaction. DDP puts him in a headlock and then they smack heads in the middle of the ring as they come off the ropes because Rodman didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And I'm sure since this was Hogan and Rodman, DDP didn't get to carefully script this match out with them. So they were probably calling it in the ring. And when you're calling something in the ring, that usually means you need another professional wrestler, not Dennis Rodman. And so they smack heads as they come off the ropes, which is actually probably the most painful, second most painful move of the night besides Ray necking himself on the sand. Rodman then leapfrogs DDP twice, which was impressive, before they slam into each other again the same way to booze from the crowd as they were like, you guys can't even do a simple clothesline? The fuck is going on? DDP, you're a wrestler. Malone tags in to take on Hogan. Hogan distracts the the ref who distracts Malone. And then Rodman sneak attacks Malone. Hogan chokes Malone and body slams him, drops a few elbows. Rodman tags in, delivers some of his own. He throws Malone into the boot of Hogan. Then we get long rest holds from Hogan to Malone, and DDP really needs the hot tag. Hogan hits Malone as Rodman was holding him, and Rodman ends up flat on his ass too, which this is a first for me in pro wrestling. You know when a guy holds another guy so that you can punch him, and usually... The guy either slips out of the way or you punch the guy. But I've never seen a guy hold a guy, you punch that guy, and then your guy holding that guy also falls down, if that makes sense. But that happened here. It it was rough. Belly to back from Hogan to Malone. DDP finally gets the hot tag and knocks Rodman off the apron, but Hogan flings DDP to the ropes. Rodman knees him in the back. Hogan takes off his belt, whips Paige. More you-both-suck chance. This time it's for Hogan and DDP. Hogan and Rodman deliver a stereo big boot to DDP. They they big boot him together. Then Rodman stays in as a legal man against Paige, but just tags in Hogan immediately. Hogan then suplexes DDP for a two-count. Rodman tags in, keeps DDP in a front chancery. Hogan comes in, they double-team him. Big boot, but the big leg misses. Malone tags in against Hogan. Clotheslines from Malone to Hogan and Rodman. Big slam to Hogan and Rodman, all from Malone. The crowd actually goes crazy for this. He rams their heads together. Big boot from Malone to Hogan. He calls for the diamond cutter. And then he tags in DDP. (laughs) So kind of a shitty spot, but it still works because DDP hits it to Hogan. Malone hits one to Rodman. But then Disciple crawls in behind Charles Robinson's back, hits a stunner, a stone-cold stunner to DDP, and rolls Hogan over Diamond Dallas Page. And one, two, three, Hulk Hogan wins thanks to Ed Leslie's shitty stone-cold stunner. Malone gets all the heat back after the match, if what little heat there was left, by hitting Disciple with a cutter. Malone then delivers the diamond cutter to Robinson as well. Charles Robinson gets a bump here as Hogan's voodoo child gets dubbed on the network. So all this is how you can't get all your heat back if voodoo child's playing at full volume. This was so stupid. DDP and Malone exit through the crowd and Hogan and Rodman rally with the NWO. And Rodman, who didn't want to take his shirt off the whole time, has now taken his shirt off and he looked fine. 
I don't know what he was worried about. He's a professional NBA player. One of the greatest rebounders of all time. This is this guy's fine. <laughs> and then we spend ages with the NWO just chatting and having a good time on, in, the, in the walkway. And that's how we end this pay-per-view. So, what did you think about this main event with these superstars? It was a... Uh, it was... It, it would have been better if we started off with Hogan and DDP. We do most of the match with Hogan and DDP. What people are wanting to see is Malone and Rodman lock up. Don't give them that shit right out the gate like they did. Number one, that's the fuck up. Number two, Rodman will not fucking stay out of the ring. That's the fuck up, number two. Fuck up, number three. The fact that he tags himself in means you have a game plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, he tags himself in, gets in there, and didn't do a damn thing. Then turns right back around and has to tag himself out. I literally saw him tag tag Hogan, go in, pick up Paige off the mat, and then tag Hogan back in. Literally go back and watch. What the hell? Seriously, what the hell? I mean... That is just, come on, man. So here's how this thing needed to play out. You got DDP, you got Hogan. You work the crowd, you get it going, you get it going, you get it going, you get the hot tag, you got both the Rodman and Carl Malone in the ring together. They go to lock up. Malone picks him up, Malone slams him, the place goes crazy. Oh, my God. They go and do a couple of more moves, very simple, because Rodman obviously didn't know what the fuck he was doing, and neither did Malone, because Malone, who had done pretty decent, but still, you know, still was needing some work. And then he turns out with a diamond cutter. Hogan comes in. As he's going for the pin, Hogan hits the leg drop on the on his the back of his head. Then Rodman, as he rolls over, you have the disciple attack DDP, which leaves Rodman in, or which leaves uh, Malone in the ring by himself. And he just got a Hogan leg drop to the back of the head. He rolls over. You have Rodman then hit a Hogan leg drop as well. Pins Malone one two three. Everybody goes to the back. Problem solved. That's how the simple layout of this match needed to go. But Rodman wouldn't fucking quit tagging in. And when Malone tagged in, he at least did something. The things that he did well, you know, you can only do those so much. Like, he couldn't just hit 15 body slams in a row. Like, he's got, like, imagine it like a punch card. Like, I have five body slams I can hand out before nothing. And you save, I think you, yeah, you save all that for the end. That's the only thing the crowd responded to was when Malone did good looking wrestling moves of which he knew three (laughs) and Rodman did nothing. Uh, So yeah, very disappointing, but I think it's, yeah, it's just the way the match was laid out. There was way too much fucking time for this match. This should have been 15 minutes tops And even though Hogan has creative control, I think Hogan still should have had to sit down with DDP to sketch out a layout for this match because but Hogan doesn't care. Hogan doesn't care about wrestling. He doesn't care about anything. He only cares about himself. And so, of course not. Of course, he's not going to do that. Of course, he showed up. He probably had a five second chat with DDP right before 
the match started. And that's about as much talking about the match as they did. It shows. It really shows. Because DDP has had great matches with a ton of people. And I, I dare say DDP might have more good matches than Hogan, maybe? I mean, I mean, in ring work wise, not as far as like hype, you know, like, you know, I mean, DDP didn't body slam Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three, but uh, (laughs) like he did drive in the honky tonk man at WrestleMania (laughs) six. Yeah, where Hogan had his probably his best WrestleMania match with the Warrior, two guys that were very limited that probably laid out that match in detail, like. This is what we need to do. This We both suck, so this is what we need to do. And Hogan should have <laughs> sat down with DDP and said, okay, man, you and me are the only one that halfway know what we're doing, and these other two guys don't, so let's talk it over so we don't look like fools. And instead, they looked like fucking fools. But then <laughs> next month, they would do it again. <laughs> so... God, so they learned little. fucking nothing <laughs> they learned nothing but who who am i to say patrick because like i said this pay-per-view was the biggest buy rate of the year so what does it fucking matter once once i get your money sort of like vince and the and peacock and the wwe network patrick once i get your money guess how much i care about you <laughs> so yeah and that was uh like i said wcw were lined up for the iceberg uh and because and and next month they wouldn't even take your money. Next month they just uh, were gonna piss you off and do that for free. So had the biggest thing about giving away free tickets to make it look good. So oh that too. I mean well and they gave away their biggest match ever Goldberg and Hogan. Like everything's got given away. They really they're actually generous. They are really generous until 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 the actual pay per view. Until you actually pay for money. They pissed through Ted Turner's money. Like, I could have spent it more than they just pissed through it. Imagine how much this event cost them. Just in talent and celebrities and the set and everything. This is a huge, I would, I mean, millions and millions of dollars went into this one three-hour broadcast. It's just crazy to think about. Like... With their payroll and everything, I dare say this pay-per-view probably costs more than some WrestleManias. Not like more recent WrestleManias. Not like, I mean, that set we saw in Orlando was, is I mean, it won't touch like something like that. But this probably costs way more than like WrestleMania 4. <laughs> like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or WrestleMania 6 for that matter. Yeah, even in the Sky Dome, like the production, like the set in the sky dome at WrestleMania six was really nothing. They had a really long ramp and that was it. So they put $0 into the set and here WCW had a whole beach <laughs> monitors and the, just the expense of the talent. Just, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it would only get worse from here next month. And then they brought warrior in. So Hogan was in, Hogan was in celebrity wrestling match mode, basically. Like, I'm going to wrestle celebrities and the Warrior, who's basically just a celebrity in 1998. So, wow. I still couldn't understand why bring Warrior in just to job him out. That one made zero fucking sense to me. Because I guess he knew he wouldn't be back. I guess he just said, I'll do whatever you want me to if you give me $50 million or whatever. You know, whatever he made for that match. He was probably like... I mean, Patrick, they did everything wrong. There's... 
we talk about it all the time. We always everything you can do wrong, they will choose. If you're presented with two options, like if you have the angel and the devil on your shoulder, right? They always pick whatever the devil says. <laughs> they never do the right thing. So of course they would bring Warrior in, put him in Fall Brawl War games, have him run in for a second, pay him millions of dollars for that, and then pay him millions of dollars to lose to Hulk Hogan and then disappear. <laughs> I just wanted to mention this about Carl Malone. Uh, if I had known that Carl Malone may have fathered a chick with a 13-year-old in 1998, I would not have rooted for Carl Malone. So he would have been a heel to me, and I would have wanted Rodman to actually shoot on him and beat the shit out of him. He reached an out-of-court settlement with this chick that said that she had his kid when he was 20 and she was 13. So, yeah, they settled it out of court. Got hit with, like, uh, paternity, uh, like he had to pay child support because he didn't show up for the hearing. So, by default, he was originally ruled to be the father. Let's just say there's a high probability that Carl Malone allegedly had a child with a 13-year-old girl when he was 20, which came out in 1998 as well. So I didn't actually know about it until about a year ago, I think. I was listening to the Crime and Sports podcast, and uh, they talked about this a little bit. Had I known that uh, going into, like, I, I mean, I never was allowed to order pay-per-views, but had I known this story uh, when Carl Malone was heading into this pay-per-view, I would have been rooting for Dennis Rodman so hard to beat Carl Malone's ass in the middle of the ring. Like, like just punch him square in the face. Like, you, like that is fucked up to me. Sorry, like, I mean, that's just a fucked up thing. So what did you think of Bash at the Beach 98 overall? Um, I It had a lot of high notes. There were... A couple of lows, but unfortunately, the lows were the important, <laughs> the important ones that needed to be the highs. I don't know, man. That main event just didn't deliver like I was hoping. Uh, really, up until Eddie and Chavo, I thought that the night was going just fine, really. I thought Raven and Saturn was good. Hoovy Kidman was good. Eddie Chavo was okay. Uh, Conan and Disco, I mean, that was a squash match, so whatever. The crowd really liked it, though. I would have in 1998. I would have loved it because I loved the Wolfpack. So I would have been like, "Oh yeah, this is great." But then, yeah, things start going downhill. I mean, you have Giant Kevin Green that was thrown together, two guys that were not supposed to be in a singles match against each other. You have injured Rey Mysterio. You have disinterested Bret Hart. You have disinterested Kurt Hennig, uh, and then you have absent Dennis Rodman. So yeah, the Second half of the card, much like what happens to many WCW cards, it just it goes downhill. If you could have taken some of those earlier matches and combined it with a WWF main event, if if Stone Cold and Undertaker were the headliners of this pay-per-view, I think I would have given it a thumbs up. But uh, that's where our rating scale comes in, Patrick. On our rating scale, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where do you rank Bash at the Beach 1998? I put it at a giant. Wow, that's still high praise. Um, I am going to give it a Lex Luger because um, it was fun, but in a bad way sometimes. And then it was just bad. 
So that's Lex Luger. So that's what I'm going to go with. So for next time, whenever we get together and record, uh, I am going to pick possibly the last thing we'll review on the network, depending on when we get it done. I have reviewed uh, together. We have reviewed so many ECW uh, things that we we reviewed, uh, of course, December to Dismember. We reviewed um, we reviewed One Night Stand. So we've reviewed the final ECW. I reviewed the final WWE CW show. So let's review the final actual ECW show. Guilty as charged from 2001, January 7th. From the Hammerstein Ballroom in front of a jam-packed sold-out 2,500 people. Right before the company would go out of business. I've never seen this show. And it was a show that Scott Hall was advertised for, but they had to take down the advertising for him because he was still under contract with WCW or something and or was involved in something he couldn't appear so uh, yeah so that's where we'll go ECW guilty is charged from January of 2001 uh, the year that wrestling changed forever 20 years ago uh, coming up WCW folded and ECW would fold after this show so uh, yeah we'll head back to 2001 and check out Guilty as Charged. Uh, Patrick, where can they find you on the internet? On Facebook. Uh, it's Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling on Twitter. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, yeah, like like Patrick said, you can catch us at Retro W Podcast on Twitter. Our official Facebook page, Retro Wrestling Podcast. That'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's lines a clothesline. And bingo, bango. I'm going to put Malone up there at the top with anybody. Because he actually said, I don't want to be like Mike Tyson and not work. I want to learn this shit. And I, when I met him, when I met Carl Malone, I'm sitting up, I did an autograph signing. Saw everybody in 1998. And I'm sitting 20 rows up, and it's a, they're killing the, uh, the Houston Rockets because, you know, Barkley's hurt. Drexler's not playing. So Malone's on the bench. He looks up and he sees me and he goes, Ross Foreman's next to me, grabbing his camera. He's our photographer. He's like, oh my God. Carl Malone just did the, the diamond cutter sign. He's getting out his camera. He goes, get him to do it again. You want to get him to do it again. We're 20 rows up. I don't know him. He goes, he knows you. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going we're gonna to have to take a little break here. There's some other territory. Now I'm going to continue. That's a whole.